I don't think I've ever talked about this. Do I? Have I ever told you about uh, my stupid way that I set my gain on my microphone? No. Since I know I have a pretty boisterous voice, and I don't want to, con- and I, you know, I don't have a mixer or anything in front of me that where I can constantly check in my my levels. I always want to make sure that no matter how loud I get, that I probably won't peak. Mm-hmm. So what I do is. <laughs> Uh, I don't always do this, but some. Uh, but what I'll do sometimes is I'll just scream into my microphone for like thirty seconds and adjust the gain until it's not peaking. <laughs> we should release a clip of that for our Patreon. <laughs> this video of you setting your gain level. <laughs> Pretty much. I'll do it. <laughs> Because then I know it's like, okay, as long as, if I get that loud, I'm fine. <laughs> I, I, so if you guys are listening to this, I don't know how this is going to be cut, but we're, we're, t- we're discussing Christmas movies. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, a Dickinson-adjacent film. Yeah. Uh, which reminds me, of, did uh, I, I watched, me, me and I have been making the same joke all uh, for the last couple weeks. Because there's a, a new movie on Apple TV with... Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds doing a version of A Christmas Carol. Okay. That's also a musical. <laughs> and uh, I've been, I've been, me and Amanda just have this, like, we just, we're so obsessed with this one joke. I didn't love the movie. I actually only gave, like, I, I think I gave, like, two and a half stars. But, like, there's things that I really liked about it. And there's this running joke where you find out Will, Will Ferrell in the movie is the original Scrooge. Um, and he is now one of the ghosts who are in charge of helping scare other people into like being less of jerks on Christmas. <laughs> okay. And Ryan Reynolds puts together that he's Scrooge. He's like, wait, you're the guy this is based on? You and, you know, Tiny Tim? And he goes, who are you talking about? It's like, Tiny Tim, the little crippled boy. He's like, I don't think that was his name. I think it was like Mini Mike or Super Small Steve. <laughs> And every time, like we watch like any version of like a Christmas Carol, that there's a Tiny Tim character, we meet and just go super small Steve. <laughs> it's it sounds like you know they they ran with the Marley's line of you know if you don't change your ways, you'll be doomed just like I am. Pretty much, yeah. This is sentiment. And they're like, we can make that movie. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I, 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 I the, my biggest complaint about it for anyone, it's called Spirited for anyone who's watched it, is my biggest thing is like, it's too fucking long. It's over two hours. Okay. A, a Christmas comedy musical does not need to be two hours. <laughs> um, but there is like a scene near the end. I always forget how good of a, a singer Will, Will Ferrell is. There's a, a scene near the end where he's singing uh, this song about like... Um, can people be redeemed uh and i could fucking put on a tear to my eye nice <laughs> fucking will ferrell bro tear to my eye i think it's it's easy to forget that he can sing because of performances like he did in old school where he was singing uh, dust in the wind so terribly like intentionally <laughs> terribly i think it takes a good singer to be able to sing poorly right? intentionally <laughs> but um yeah, are you ready for some... I am uh, speaking of movies that you gave two and a half stars to. Let's do this thing. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, let me uh, take a sip of Arizona tea for the working man. 
I didn't write an intro for this, so we're just gonna fuck with this. <laughs> Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is my Yuletide companion... Nipped Richards. Saint Nipped Richards. Oh, fin- fuck. We'll fix that in post. Ah, Saint Nick Richards. That's, that's a fucking good one. <laughs> Why not think of that? Ah! Ah! <laughs> Alrighty, so Merry Christmas, everyone, from the Shameless Picture Show, uh, from our family to yours. Uh, the Christmas episode has become a tradition here on the Shameless Picture Show, right? Like, I think yeah. we, I don't think we've missed one. No, no. I think we, our second episode was a Christmas. Yeah, episode. yeah. We tipped it off strong with this tradition. Yeah, and it's uh, it was never the intention to do a double feature every year. It just kind of becomes that. Yeah, I don't think we've done a double feature every year. I but, think we have. But uh, maybe. The, fir- the first year we did... Black um, Christmas. Black and... Christmas and the Family Stone. Yeah, great double feature. Um, yeah, that was actually a weird one. What's, what's, what, you know what? Let's look us we up. We did Joyo Noel one year. I thought we did something with it, but maybe we, we didn't. We might have. Uh, we also uh, we did uh, uh, Santa with Muscles. Yeah, that was a double feature, I think. Yep, so season this, this is not going to be in order. Season 3, episode 20. Well, that's another thing. We only got like 12 episodes out this season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did Santa with Muscles and Fred Claus. Okay. Uh, season 1, episode 3 was, was Black Christmas and um, we just said The Family Stone. All right. Um... Why is this harder to find than I was expecting? <laughs> this shouldn't be so difficult. I should be able to just access our Christmas okay. catalog. Uh, whatever. Okay, this is unimportant. <laughs> I'm spending too much time on this bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> um, so, um, this year we're, we're going to continue our trend, maybe, of doing <laughs> a Christmas trend. double feature. <laughs> Our maybe trend. And I'm going to continue my trend of the last two episodes of not coming in prepared and not writing an intro. (laughs) Tis the season. It's the season of just, we're tired. Of chaos. It's the season of chaos. We're prepping for season seven. Oh shit, wow. This this is the end of season six. uh, And we're already prepping for season seven. Um, So, I'm going to bastardize my way through this. So we are talking about two movies. Nick kind of buried the lead a, a little bit about um, one of the movies. <laughs> uh, we are discussing two movies today. Uh, one of them from 2017, The Man Who Invented Christmas. I figured I would go through each one and then I'd go through one and then introduce the other. Yeah. So first from 2017, we have the Christmas, like, I guess, like, would you say it's a biography? I, I would say it's certainly biopic in nature um but i get the sense that like i don't have any belief that this is uh, like biographical in nature but it but it presents as such okay well then we have the uh we have the semi-potential biographical christmas film 
from 2017, the man who invented Christmas. Uh, we we talked about it a little bit. We're all familiar with the story of um, a Christmas Carol, but are we familiar with the man who wrote it? Charles Dickens, um, the man who invented Christmas, stars Dan Stevens as the as the uh, as Charles Dickens, the author Charles Dickens, as he comes off of writing Oliver Twist and is struggling with figuring out what is his next project going to be. Um, as every writer has ever felt, uh, or any creative, when you've just come off something successful, it's always hard to follow it up. So that's what this movie's about. This movie is about Charles Dickens trying to figure out what his next story is going to be, and then how he, using the the forces around him, creates what is now the, I think the ultimate Christmas story. Um. A film stars Dan Stevens, as I said, as Charles Dickens, who horror fans will know from the movie The Guest. Uh, also stars uh, Christopher Plummer. Uh, Christopher Plummer, yes, as uh, as, Scrooge. as as Scrooge has Jonathan Price from Pirates of the Caribbean fame playing uh, Charles Dickens' father, and a bunch of other actors, <laughs> and and more. So he's had a couple of flops. Well, who hasn't? You have a new book in mind? Oh, of course he does. My lamp's gone out. I've run out of ideas. Are we in trouble? No, of course not. I have told you not to disturb me when I am working. On Christmas Eve, the spirits pour into the night. Who here, Mr. Dickens? Pickpockets, streetwalkers, humbug. Those people don't belong in books. Charles! A miser, and on Christmas Eve, he meets some kind of supernatural guides. Does it have a title? Humbug, a miser's lament, Christmas ghost story, Christmas song, Christmas ballad, something like that. Get the name right, and the character will appear. Scratch, Scrounger. Come on, Scrooge. Shut the window. You think I'm made of money, Mr. Scrooge? How delightful to meet you, sir. Sorry, I can't say the same. You and I are going to do wonderful things together. How do you make a world come alive? I can almost see and hear them people. Even if you'd already written it, we couldn't possibly get it printed and distributed in only six weeks. If I can't finish it, I'll never write again. The characters won't do what I want. I'm the author here. Allegedly. A jolly ghost. What's that mean? <laughs> In the season of hope, we will shut out nothing and everyone will be welcome. I have to get to the princess by nine o'clock. But you still don't, don't have an ending. Merry, Merry Christmas to one and all. That's enough. Back to work. God bless us, everyone. So, as I said, the movie came out in 2017, directed by a filmmaker by the name of Bharat Nullery. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he's a Indian, he's a British Indian filmmaker. Um, 
I remember when this came out, uh, seeing the poster for it, and for whatever reason, I just kept putting it off. Um, but because of this show, I finally got a chance to check it out. Also, following that, we have uh, another movie that I have never seen before. So we've got a twofer. Yeah. We have from 1945, Christmas in Connecticut. Christmas in Connecticut stars Barbara Stanwyck playing a uh, New York columnist by the name of Elizabeth Lane, who is... Um, She's a food writer, but then I also think like just a cultural writer. Like, yeah, she seems food to... and lifestyle. Food the, and lifestyle. The kind of things you'd see in like good housekeeping. Yeah, food and lifestyle author. Very popular. Um, and um, her co-star in it, uh, Dennis Morgan, plays a uh, soldier by the name of Jeffrey Jones, which is such a generic fucking name. <laughs> um, Jeffrey Jones and... <laughs> this fucking setup. Um... <laughs> He just, he has found, uh, as a survivor, him and a friend of his on a raft in the middle of the ocean during World War II, he is saved, and all he can think about is a, is is food. He's just food fucking obsessed. To the point that he makes this nurse fall in love with him just so he can get some fucking pork chops. Well, issue is, he uh is having trouble committing i wonder why and his his bride-to-be has the wonderful idea to why don't i reach out to this popular writer and you know he doesn't have a home of his own maybe if he sees what a true home is like on christmas he'll want to commit to me i'm not fucking exaggerating people that's how this movie is set up um so then uh, he goes off uh, to, to hang out with uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character. But we find out that, one, she can't cook. She doesn't have a home in Connecticut. She's not married with a kid. Her, everything has been a lie. So she needs to keep up the facade so that way she doesn't fucking lose her job. That's Christmas in Connecticut. <laughs> directed by Peter Godfrey from 1945. Starring Barbara Stanwyck, Dennis Morgan, and Sidney Greenstreet. This was not my best intro. That's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> Roll the train. You know what I love, though? You did it with passion. Oh, I try. <laughs> Roll the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> Who said there isn't any Santa Claus? Look what I found in my stocking. <laughs> Heaven help a sailor on a Christmas like this. <laughs> this is the jolliest, merriest Christmas I ever spent. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It is so, so romantic. It gives me pimples all over the course. I'm as free as a bird. Oh, that's what you think. Don't you come near me, you, you sea wolf. After the way you've deceived me. I deceived you. I warn you, you, if you take another step, I'll scream. Thank you. 
Okay, Nick. So I introduced the films. We got yeah. to see the trailers. Yeah. How do you want to start this? I think I want to start uh, with the man who invented Christmas. And I'm gonna put my notes on this one. For the reason that when titling this episode, if we do them in this order, then we can call it the man who invented Christmas in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I've I got like convictions. That. They may not be the best choices, but they are convictions. Hey, I'm a fan of it. This is not our 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 most whatever. It's not <laughs> our whateveriest whatever. Yeah. As you yeah. can tell, both of us are really firing on both cylinders. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about the man who invented Christmas. Nick, okay. this is black. I was going to say this was your pick, but both of these were your pick. Yeah. I'm still waiting for a very Brady Christmas one year. Oh, we should do that. <laughs> All right, season seven, Christmas episode, very Brady Christmas. Okay, anyways, um, let's continue on. So the man who invented Christmas, why did you... did? Let me ask, did you pick both of these films just because you happened to watch them, or was there a reason? No. So, I've seen The Man Who Invented Christmas, but I have not seen Christmas in Connecticut. Had not seen Christmas in Connecticut. So, when I was looking through, like, I was scanning, you know, top Christmas movies thing to see what would kind of still feel shamelessy that I haven't actually seen. And... Um, standing that list, I came across Christmas in Connecticut. I love a good, you know, any opportunity to watch an older film. I, oh, 100%. I try to take advantage of because they're films that oftentimes, unless I'm doing it for the show, I don't just go pick it up to check it out. So I like to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, I do force you to watch a lot of old shit. So, I love it. Um, <laughs> so, that was where Christmas in Connecticut, I thought that could be one on my shame list. And if we were going to do two, I'd look through to see if there were any that I had seen, but I thought that you might not have. And that's where The Man Who Invented Christmas came in, because I saw it for the first time last year. Okay. So, Man Who Invented Christmas. How, how should we start this conversation? I think I, since... Since this one is on my shame or was on your shameless and I've seen it, I think we should kick it off with Michael. What did you think of the man who invented Christmas? Okay, so the man who invented Christmas, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just, I don't know. Maybe I was just in a certain mood when I fucking watched this movie, but I just thought the movie was just painfully okay. Okay. Like, I, I didn't think it was necessarily a bad movie. It just didn't leave me, like... But its okayness was painful. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I didn't feel the movie leave... I didn't leave the movie feeling like I had a, a, a greater appreciation for uh, A Christmas Carol. Okay. I didn't leave the movie feeling like I really understood um, Charles Dickens that much more. Though I do love the actor who played him. Like, <laughs> I, I should say, this movie's extremely well acted. Like, at any time, like... That the character, the actor playing Charles Dickens was on screen. He just fucking, he's great at it. Like he's great at playing the character. Um, and I just, I, I just don't feel like it added. It also didn't feel like, like, oh, this is a new Christmas classic that I'm gonna return to. Like this feels like a kind of one and done movie for me. Where um, I just, like, I have, I, I love a Christmas Carol. 
I love so many different versions of that story. Uh, it's actually probably one of my favorite stories ever, even though I've never read the book, but I just love like all the different adaptations of it. Yeah. I, I think I went into this with higher expectations than this movie probably could have lived up to. Ooh, okay. Um, that's a, that's an interesting way to word it. Um, so I, I think I just had, I just, I, I had higher expectations and ultimately what it came down to is as I was watching it and I don't normally think this way. So that's why it was interesting to me. I was like, why do I care? I, I didn't feel like there was any drama to the movie. I didn't really feel like there was a... I didn't feel that there was a purpose or desire or need that if he doesn't fucking write this book, that anything bad is truly going to happen. I know they talked about stakes, but I didn't feel those stakes. It is it is interesting in a movie like this where... um. You know, one a, a a writer's dilemma in terms of telling a story like this, in that like the audience knows how it's going to end, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. not to say that you can't create states and make it compelling to people, but I think I would agree with you that this film did not do a great job of like i could i could go through and i could go okay that's where they're trying to build states there that's where they're trying mm-hmm. to build states there you i can like i, see I, I it. feel like his i feel like his dad's entire inclusion was to try to add states yeah. and, he, and, and honestly like he never seemed that bad other than he just seemed to annoy his son right and there's like i think maybe the 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 weight the the narrative weight that they gave to him writing the book maybe took away from some of the energy that they were trying to put into building the the personal stakes for Charles Dickens. Yeah. Like it was all there. Yeah. But was it compel was it presented <coughs> compelling enough? Yeah. And I like, don't it... I don't disagree with I think I had a more positive reaction to the film, but I, everything you say sounds right to me. Yeah, like, and, and I should also specify, like, nothing in this film is uh, is, is is technically bad. Yeah. Like, it's extremely well acted. It looks great. It sounds like it's it's a confidently made, well made movie. I just it it just it didn't work for me. And then, um, honestly, like, and it's it's an interesting gimmick. But it took me out of what I was enjoying out of the film. I thought seeing Dickens and his granted, we don't know what his creative process was, but like the 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 idea of of a person's creative process, you know, where he's he's taking bits and pieces from people in his life and um, being inspired by things around him. That stuff I really like. The idea of him writing this story. I really, I really liked, but then when it started becoming down a kind of watered down version of a Christmas Carol, but they couldn't actually fully commit to it, and we're just getting bits and pieces of scenes. It kind of felt like you remember this scene, guys? Yeah, we all remember because we've all seen this story a billion times. Like, it's like, so are you trying to be a Christmas Carol, like Carol, like adaptation while also telling how it's written, or are you just including right. these scenes? Or because I feel like there's a way they could have done this story with it being a ver- a adaptation of a christmas carol while also talking about how it was made but i feel like they had to commit to that i don't feel like 
that was their intention, but they're still they still had a lot of scenes from a Christmas Carol. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so to help me kind of suss out your reaction as it relates to my reaction, I'd like to ask you a follow up question. Go for it. Um, and I think I already know. I think you've already answered it, but I'd I'd like some uh, reinforcement of the reasoning here. Mm-hmm. Do you feel your your um, underwhelmed reaction to the film? Yeah. Do you think that it's because do you, do you think there's more there in the film that it's maybe they didn't clarify enough or that you missed and that it might give, be there? Give me or an example. Do you? Th- well, uh, I will. Let me give you the okay. counterpoint first. Or do you think you have you got everything out of the film that there is to get, and it was still found wanting? Hmm. Interesting. Like there are some films that the more you watch it, the more you understand it, what what the filmmakers' intentions were, and you get more out of it. I'm noticing that right now. We're on this. So Rain and I have been really busy, and we've. Do you, do you have those movies or movie franchises that you'll just put on as like background noise and you can rewatch it over and over and over and over again? 100%, yes. So right now we're doing that with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. We're just watching those six movies like on loop. And so we're not, we're not actively watching them. They're just on. But every 30 minutes or so, you give it 10 minutes of your attention but I'm discovering that like those movies are so big and they move so fast that while I know the story, there are part there are so many little parts that I've missed over the years. And I've seen these movies dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Um, so like do you I'm sorry, there's a our local fire siren is going off if you can hear that in the background. <laughs> um I know where that fire siren is. Yeah, that's right. Um, So, like, do you think that there is more there to discover that, like, oh, okay, there's a chance if I watch it more that they are saying something more compelling? And maybe not saying it as well? Or do you think you got it all? The hopeful person in me wants to believe that there's more there. But I, I honestly feel like... I feel like I got everything they were trying to give to me. I I I I think I just wanted more. I wanted I wanted more de- like I wanted to okay, so they talk about that if Dickens doesn't make write a new book that's a, a big seller, he could lose his house even though he's he's under underwater doing these fucking renovations and all this other shit. Sure, but I feel like I never once feel like there's any money struggles. Um, I, 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 I just wanted, I wanted to know why he had to write this book. Because they, they're talking about like once he got inspired to do it, it was something he had to do. And I feel like there was a big moment of him betting on himself and self-publishing and all this stuff. But it never felt like, and maybe it's because... Uh, this movie takes place in the past and I can't see him as anything other than a rich like fucking nobleman where it just doesn't feel like this is a big deal like, <coughs> should be a big deal to him um, and then like it's just it's little things like um, 
So they're they're building up a really interesting friendship between him and his maid. But it kind of just became him pilfering ideas from her and that and then yelling at her. I, um, I had that same issue, and even given that like there were stories that her mom told her as like this Irish immigrant, there's also a bit of like cultural appropriation that is very on brand for 19th century Britain. Yeah. But <laughs> or like the fact that his 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 wife had served no purpose in this fucking story. Oh, that's a good call out that i didn't notice it she just kind of stood there in the background and smiled and sometimes gave him like a stern look as he just went insane talking to himself in his in his bedroom and it was one of those points that could have like the inclusion of it was clearly trying to raise the stakes like this his devotion to his art is putting a strain on his family i just, but, I just feel like it never committed to any of these these moments yeah of, drama like would that have been low-hanging fruit probably but it probably would have made me care more if i just if if i thought oh he's so obsessed with his work that it's crumbling his marriage no she kind of blindly supported him the entire time or uh you know he's lashing out on people well you know not really like he did it once and he kind of apologized for it or is oh his his dad came back into his life and he was a really negative source from oh no he's just kind of annoying he just annoys him oh the house is too loud i can't write like you fuck off you rich fuck so not a lot of empathy for the protagonist not really no all right and like one can make this argument about any artist but like i feel like a lot of stories about artists creating their best work is usually a story of a person starting at the bottom and who has to claw their way up to do to to make something to make what they're most known for like you look at something like it's a different genre but like look at uh the story like walk hard the the movie about johnny cash he's a guy who like fucking had nothing um um and just kind of bet on himself and clawed his way up and made something of himself. This movie starts with him being the fucking toast of the town. He's Charles Dickens. He's yeah. a genius. How is he going to follow up his last masterpiece? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> like, if you tell the same story about his first masterpiece, then yeah. maybe you have more yeah. of those stakes. Or, like, you know, like, if, since we don't know the story of Dickens writing this story. I'm just going to assume most of this is inference. If you're going to lie about the man's life, why interesting? Yeah. Why big? And again, you can see how they tried to do that by emphasizing the three flops in mm -hmm. between, but even that wasn't emphasized too much. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't integral enough to like, we didn't see how, how what the states would have been if he oh i'd never write again but it's just one line and it's not supported with like the music and the acting and the timing of things it's more like just something you said in between these thoughts of making the story yeah and like like and it's it's simultaneously something i appreciated it but then also it's it's 
I think it's a little too close to home to see it on screen. The whole idea of like how he builds his characters and he's like, let me see what you're like, Scrooge. <laughs> it's it's so very on the nose. But at the same time, it was like, okay, any of us creatives, we, we've kind of been there where we're sitting in a room talking to ourselves and figuring out the best way for some of this stuff to sound. But then when he's like sitting there, be like, what are you about, Scrooge? And he's like, what do you mean, what am I about? I don't know. <laughs> Like they they laid it on a little too thick for you, just a, just a bit. <laughs> but yeah, um, like but also some of those moments of him like arguing with these characters were some of were some of the most amusing points in the film. It, I think, what I now, I liked the film. I didn't love the film, but solid light. Um, and the first time I saw it it did affect me. Like, it left me thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But I also very distinctly remember, like, a confusion about what I felt about the movie. And I think what was hanging up in my head are very similar to these points that you're bringing up that I just hadn't, you know, hadn't coalesced in my head. Um, like, there is something wanting about the film but the things that it did well i think were enough to win me over and push it into the light category yeah and i should say it i don't i definitely don't think this movie was a waste of time i'm glad i saw it and there were things i i definitely liked about it that's just kind of why i i just rated it middle of the road like it's fine Yep. It's it didn't it didn't offend me in any way <laughs> despite my passion it's one of those like, i'm glad i saw it there was things I, I took from it that I thought were were well done. It was interesting to see this this story of how the greatest Christmas story ever told was made. Though I I've always felt this. I've always thought like Dickens, you're one of the most creative writers of all time. And the best you can come up with a, is a Christmas Carol. Like that's your fucking whatever. Um, um that, I just I, I get I've always had an issue with the title as well, but. I, I think I chalked it up to, like, naming conventions being different in that yeah, era. Yeah, and, that, and that's fair. Um, I guess I just, like, I wanted more from this story. And it's probably because I do like A Christmas Carol so much. Like, I will watch any version of it. Um, to me, it's just like I said, just, it, it, it was fine. Um, I just, I don't know if I'll rewatch it. Maybe at some point down the road. It's just... Like, that was a movie. <laughs> what, and that was, in fact, a movie. It was. I think we can all agree that it was a movie. Um, one thing that I noticed on this watching is how, to me, it's not a Christmas film. And we've had this conversation about what does and does not constitute a, a Christmas film. Christmas, who celebrates that? And, that was a and, direct line in the fucking movie. Right. Um, and by Raina's definition, it is a Christmas film. And in a way that, like, based... So, as we've said before... Ra- is it Raina's definition if it has a Christmas tree? Yes. So the which, final scene of this movie makes it a Christmas... The, the final scene, which is interesting how they really draw attention to it, too. It's not just <coughs> in there. It's like, so, here's a thing people are doing now. Putting trees in houses. Get a lot of this! <laughs> right. <laughs> so, even by her definition, I wonder if, like... The fact that it was such a plant, like it was like, well, we need to make this thing a Christmas movie, otherwise Raina won't watch it. 
Here it is. Here's the tree. I, I, I still stick by... So I got two definitions. I have my real definition of like, I'm actually going to argue whether or not something's a Christmas film. Is For me, is like, is it being set on Christmas integral in some way? This is kind of a cheap one because it's integral <laughs> in that he wrote it around christmas right so that's a kind of a that's kind of a gimme i think it is integral to the plot yeah um and then like you know i i have a list going on letterbox of stealth christmas movies which is pretty much Raina's definition of anything that has a christmas tree in it (laughs) if it's not initially branded a christmas movie for example from the 80s uh sci-fi action movie called trancers there's a big shootout in a mall and you see that there's a guy dressed as Santa Claus and a bunch of Christmas trees. I'm like, oh shit, stealth Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. <laughs> like that that's that definition. So yeah. um well, and, but then, and this the the man who invented Christmas is more like the opposite of that, where it's quite clearly marketed as a Christmas film. But is it you know, it is it though? Like what yeah. about it other than like this very like business definition of Christmas, does it convey the spirit of christmas in in the narrative yeah i don't know and i think that's important like i think christmas needs to be important to the plot and it needs to give you those christmassy feelings funny enough the simpsons uh every time they do a christmas episode they're incredible at that yeah yeah um so yeah like i said i thought the man who invented christmas was fine um like i said the sum of all the parts everything about this movie is extremely well done well maybe not the story but but from a technical side i just eh. i think um it left me just wanting to see a adaptation of a christmas carol with fucking christopher Plummer and dan (laughs) stevens like just fucking do the actual story (laughs) um i i did appreciate the the different angle on a christmas carol adaptation like, I liked that they weren't just, like, I, I don't know if I would be interested in saying that Christopher Plummer and... Uh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. I'm like, I know, it's, Dan Savage isn't right. He's, it's, he's got two first, two first names, you can't trust him. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would want to go see that, because then every time there's a new Christmas Carol adaptation, at this point my thought is, well, what are you going to say that the other ones haven't? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I so just, I, I kind of encountered that recently with a newer adaptation of it that actually has Guy Pearce in it. Funny enough, call no. back to Ravenous, uh, where he played Scrooge. <laughs> oh, interesting. Hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, so like that off the bat, I think was part of the interest for me for the film initially. Um, like I, f- I feel like like I said earlier if you're gonna lie about the charles dickens life lie with some flair <laughs> i feel like the logical way to do this story would be that charles dickens coming off the success of oliver twist is such a fucking insufferable asshole <laughs> that he is being tormented it doesn't have to be direct correlation to a christmas carol but he needs to be tormented from something that fucking inspires him to write this story i kind of that just came to me in 30 seconds. <laughs> well, and and I don't think it's that far off. Like, I think that's still an accurate description of what this story is. I just don't know if it hits that those notes hard enough. I think it's a little lost in itself. 
Yeah, I feel like they had multiple ideas of what they wanted this story to be, and were struggling kind of picking a path. Yeah. So they're like, let's do all the paths. Right. Um, and let's get Jonathan Price. What's he up to? <laughs> I really liked uh, the writing bits. Like, as, as a writer, and, and you spoke to yeah. this already, like, when he was in there. Oh, I was okay with how thick they laid it on and how they literally came to life um there was times though it just felt like especially like when he was at the restaurant and like the guy came up he's like what's your name marley and it just <laughs> felt like remember that kids you know that name i don't think you're wrong like i am not <laughs> saying that you are wrong i'm just saying that my tolerance for it might have been a little higher <laughs> not, not again not right or wrong um where it kind of worked for me and i think it worked because of Dan Stevens' acting. Yes. Um, he, he held this movie together. Yes. In a movie filled with good actors, he held it together. That perf- His performance, I thought, was pretty stellar. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's not a Christmas movie, and I don't think it was an inter- interesting enough movie for me to, like, re-watch it outside of Christmas either. So, like... I was interested. I think it left me. That question I asked you earlier about, like, did you think there was something more, or do you think you got it all? I think the reason why I wanted to revisit this is I walked away from my first watching thinking I must have missed something. Like, let me fill in these holes. <laughs> and then you watch it, like, nope, got it all. And it it helped me secure that like there wasn't really anything I was missing, and I definitely liked it. But it wasn't, uh, like, knocked it out of the park for these reasons. And you liked it, but you're not in like with it. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think you did a, a much better job of uh, expressing the issues with the film than I had put together yet. I don't normally get beastie on this show very often. <laughs> right? I am to the man who invented Christmas what you are to the last picture show. Exactly. <laughs> and I I walked away from this watching thinking that my main complaint was that the trying to tie the the Christmas Carol narrative into the Charles Dickens writing the book narrative felt a bit forced at times. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would have liked the film more if they didn't try to like make uh, Dickens' story parallel Scrooge's so hard. Yeah, I, I liked the concept of it. Yeah, I, and I, I, I think I, it was forced. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's a version, as I said before, there's a version of this movie where they where they could have done that, but they had to commit to it from the beginning. It being kind of wishy-washy about it and then just kind of shoehorning it in is what bugged me about it. Yeah. Um, what I think this film did do for me is um, reminded me of what a great story A Christmas Carol is. Yeah. Like, it is a phenomenal story. And in terms of, like, you know, writing stories, I think the the way that A Christmas Carol was constructed is brilliant. And that's a word that I tr- don't use very often. Yeah. Um, and watching this movie is like, oh, yeah, it really is good. Um, but The Man Who Invented Christmas 
is not that good. Which, you know, who, <laughs> what, what movie is, you know? <laughs> but, like, how much of my joy of the film was, like, swimming in Christmas Carol nostalgia that isn't in the form of another adaptation of a Christmas Carol? Like, that element of it probably shifted it higher for me. Yeah. And a testament to how good of a story Christmas Carol is, like I said, I have seen so many adaptations of it, and it's, uh, and it's, uh, I still enjoy watching them. Yeah, yeah. It's, you gotta have uh, a handful of them. I, there are several that I watch every single year. Uh, Scrooged, Muppet Christmas Carol. Muppet Christmas Carol has no right to be as good as it is. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I also really like, um, uh, Mickey's Enchanted Christmas, or whatever it's called, it's it's essentially the Mickey Mouse version of a Christmas Carol starring Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, uh, yeah, and That's it's like twenty six moment, twenty six minutes, and it hits all the fucking beats. Yes, yep. That's a good one. That and, and little and Mickey I, Mouse, Tiny Tim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also really like the uh, uh, um, the version of uh, with um, George C. Scott. Okay, that one I have not seen. That's a good one. I recommend it. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's Man Who Invented Christmas. Um, and it's also, like, I, I get the title. It's like he, you know, invented Christmas to an extent of, like, the way we know it. But, like, Christmas was around before you, man. <laughs> but they, get over yourself. Like, I did like how they framed the ending of, like, it, it made me feel... Like, as a writer, you can change the world. Like, yes, he didn't invent Christmas. I, you know, granted, but he... Didn't he? But he did kind of, like, change our societal view of Christmas, or at least steered it. Like, those things were already there, but he emphasized them in a way that has affected us for generations. That's fair. And that that was like, a, oh, wow, maybe, like... I don't often have those moments where, like, thinking about myself as a writer, granted a very unsuccessful one, but as a writer, like, my, I, I believe that writing can have an impact, but that is a tangible example of it, mm-hmm. rather than an abstract, you know, idea. Uh, despite him being, like, uh, in this story, like, a shitty significant other at times um like he did make the world a better place did charles dickens um so that was cool and i really liked how they treated him receiving his first copy of the book and again goes back to um the the performance of of dan stevens yeah he's solid i also really liked the lighting in this film which i don't often like particularly notice but it hit me in this it's one. got a nice like whimsy to it yeah. and it looks like they get you know, a lot of captured sun sun rays and yeah fog the fuck out of those sets <laughs> and it's 19th century london <laughs> yeah it's not fog it's all like cholera yeah <laughs> or whatever the fuck diseases they had the plague <laughs> Ah, the the light shines so beautifully through the plague. <laughs> it there were a couple of shots that I'm like, this is giving me exorcist vibes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Just a couple shots. <laughs> All right, should we switch over to uh, our second feature? Of course. So, uh, I already introduced the film, but yeah. uh, n- next we have, as I said, from 1945, a Christmas rom-com pretty much creating the uh, the format that Hallmark still uses to this day. <laughs> Christmas in Connecticut. Uh, not to be confused with the 1992 remake directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw that on IMDb. I had no idea. <laughs> it's the only film he ever directed. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. All right, Nick. So... Uh, you you should lead the way with Christmas yeah, in Connecticut. Yeah, so this one, while it was on both of our shameless, this is the one of the episode that's on mine. Um, I was surprisingly into this film. Yeah, um, I had a lot of problems with it, I think but I had the, a great time watching it. The setup is weak. Agreed. <laughs> Can you imagine wanting a fucking pork chop so bad that you agree to marry someone? Okay, yes, I I totally would do that. And I think part of the charm of the really awkward setup is like I loved how it was based on oh I want food so bad. It kind of I will say that we made me hungry, so <laughs> um it it was surprisingly, and, and obviously it's the lens that I'm looking through it at presently. I don't know how it was received back then, but it felt surprisingly feminist to me um, okay. in a lot of ways. I thought Barbara Stanwyck was incredible. She was like flirty and independent, but in a way that was like all her. Like I love how they told so much of this story from her perspective. Oh yeah, like she she makes this fucking movie, and the fact that like, you know, there's so many times where things are just fucking falling apart around her, and she's just like, okay, this is what we gotta do, right? Um, she is so good, she makes Dennis Morgan interesting, <laughs> and he's got nothing about him other than a, a a square jaw and a decent head of hair. Like it, it reminded me at times of Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, okay. um, because of the type of lead female character that they wrote. Okay. I can see that. Yeah, because I remember the... the, the act, that was another one we covered on this show. Yeah. Um, that was... Uh, I remember that one being surprised by how well that uh, uh, lead actress was written. Yes. So, yeah, I... I, I, um, I, I liked... I, I haven't figured out what my rating is going to be for this film yet because, like, I... There's things I really fucking hated about this movie, <laughs> but like I said, I had a good time watching it, um, and, and some of it just kind of became like the audacity. They're like, did someone write this? Did someone like? It's like, oh, this the 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 guy who owns this newspaper is just gonna decide last fucking minute that he's gonna ditch his family and to come hang out with supposedly this woman and her wife. It's like, is this woman really gonna get married just to keep this fucking lie going? <laughs> I was like, well, wait, did he did is he sexualizing her flipping a pancake? What the fuck? It it reminded me of like um uh how the the terminology is escaping me, but like uh when two uh like a gay woman and a gay man get a beard. There there we go, that was the word. Like where it's like this is actually how I could do everything that I wanna do even though I don't really want to marry you. You know, it was a solution 
and they were both in a position in their and, lives where it was mutually beneficial. It's funny you mentioned that because I was actually pitching Amanda like a remake to this where it would be about um, you know the 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 Barbara Stanwyck character would be like uh, would be a gay male who has this job as this at this paper and can't do any of these things and like some sailor or whatever comes <laughs> comes to dinner and both of them are on the down low and aren't really admitting to themselves of how they feel so the guy has to pretend like he's actually going to marry this one woman but they're really falling in love so it's funny that you you mentioned that. yeah that it there's there's something about the undertone of that relationship setup that mirrors the stories of that that are being told in our generation yeah so it's like i can see a version of this contemporized um and god damn we got to fix that first act (laughs) no i'm not gonna lie when the movie began and we see um um i can't remember his character name uh jeffrey jones dennis morgan's character um on the raft like in like a fucking tux eating (laughs) like at a table i'm like what the fuck is and then like did the whole like old time mirage and i was like oh that's actually an amazing opening image (laughs) right i had that same two stuff like what the fuck am i watching oh that's what it is balls that's that was it took balls to set that up and i love it yeah yeah and then like i i just love like um because i love barbara stanwick's character in this and uh a little fun piece of uh, maybe not fun but like a, a little piece of information a tidbit about this movie that just i think just adds to her character um and how good of an actress she was because she just makes everything look so effortless at the time world war Two was going on and her husband was overseas serving oh when she, shit. When she did this movie and she did it to distract herself oh <laughs> this was her distraction movie and she's fucking brilliant in she it. is she had power like honestly, like it's one of those, this is one of those movies that it, for me it'd be it'd be kind of a weird one to like. I think it's a movie I could easily recommend, but there's some things that's kind of hard for me to like. Why do I recommend this? But <laughs> she'd be one of the reasons I'd recommend this. Movie. Yeah, uh, the so back to the point about the first act being rough. Like I remember thinking <laughs> to myself, and as a way of um, maybe excusing. The first act is the old writing advice of, like, coincidence is fine for getting you into trouble, but not for getting you out of trouble. And this Mm -hmm. is a big, huge example of, like, coincidence being what gets you in trouble. The circumstances were like, okay, that's a little hard to swallow, but here we are. And from that point on, I think it was pretty solid. Yeah, and like it's it, there is a great tension throughout the film where you're consistently like, "How is this going to fall apart? How is this going to fall apart?" Yes. The the changing of babies was phenomenal, <laughs> yep. and the fact that like Barbara Stanwyck just played it off to make everyone else seem crazy. Um, my, but I'll say as much as I love her in this movie, she did annoy the shit out of me when, um, um. God damn, this fucking character's name always escapes me. Um, Jeffrey Jones, because it's such an annoying name. That's why. Um, Is Jones when, the the Jones the um, the military? The, uh, yeah. Guy. When he first j- comes to the house, it's it's almost like, what are you, an idiot? Like, what? Uh, in regards to her, she's be like, oh yeah, um, I guess let's grab it, referring to the baby. It's, yeah. And and it's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Like, she's just like a deer in the headlights 
in the worst type of way. And it's also very weird. He's like, can I watch you bathe your baby? I'm like... But also, like, it's, think about I, the level of celebrity that she was. Yeah. You know, and, and t- think, like, if you got to go hang out with David Lynch, you wouldn't go, boy, you don't seem like a filmmaker right off the bat. You, you would give that person the benefit of the doubt. And I think mm-hmm. her level of celebrity with that column was, like, you are brilliant at this, and it it bought her a lot of leeway, bought that character a lot of leeway with like, oh, I don't actually know what I'm doing, but like, oh, you okay, must know what you're doing. Okay, that's an interesting way to view it. Um, but then like, what also makes this film work is I think it's just got a phenomenal supporting cast, like um, like you have her uncle or not uncle, but you have Felix. Felix was. When I could understand him, he was great. <laughs> Even when I couldn't understand him, I still thought he was great. <laughs> um, and then you also have uh, the housekeeper, uh, uh, Nora. Yeah. It's funny, Which, at one point, when they were, like, butting heads and talking about the correct way to make, like, the I, soup. That me made a- me want more Felix and Nora interactions that never really happened. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, I love what they're setting up here. I want more of this. And it never <laughs> happened again. I was a little disappointed. I, I leaned over to Amanda, but... They're going to be fucking by the end of this movie. Right? <laughs> I loved their setup. It was yeah, so good. They were, they were great. Um, <laughs> and honestly, it's like the least interesting part about this movie was was most of the male characters. Like Jeffrey, jo- like uh, Dennis Morgan's character, Jones, the, the, the army guy. He's, he's kind of a, Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> Reginald Gardner, who played John Sloan, her husband-to-be. He's it's fine. fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Felix was great. Uh, and Sydney Greenstreet, who plays, oh, who plays uh, her boss, Yardley, he was, he was, he was great for yeah. his role. Yeah. For his part, he was good. Agreed. Um, but, like, I, I honestly, I, I just wanted to keep watching hijinks between uh, Barbara Stanwyck, Felix, and Nora. Here, my big takeaway from this film was. If this was not made, would we have The Family Stone? Would we have Home Alone? Would we have National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? That's Be- a great question. Because like they're all set up in that way where there's like an initial thing that brings all these forces together and then the rest of the film is just like thing after thing after thing goes wrong while somebody try while the main character tries to just hold it all together. And that's a great point. Um. Yeah, uh, I, I would I love feel to like look at this in the format. Yeah, I would love to look at this in like uh, the you know the echelon of um, Christmas comedies and kind of you know see what came before, see what came after, and yeah. see what this might have done for the genre. Um, I would say another thing that I I do have to say kind of a, a bugged me a little bit was so. In the story, uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character is married. She also knows she is going to be getting married. Well, the she, way she, what? Well, she wasn't married. She was no, like no. going to. She's she was, lying to be married. As far oh, as everyone else is yes. concerned, okay. she's married. Yes. As gotcha. far as everyone's concerned, gotcha. She's married. She has to. Pl- she has to play the part of a yeah. married woman. Um, in real in reality, she's going to be marrying Sloane. 
the way she kind of leads Jones on. It's like, and if I wasn't married, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, like, granted, he doesn't know you're not really married. Right, like, I, I was okay with it all. Like, she's, as, she wasn't married yet, and she didn't really have a relationship with this guy. Like, this was such yes, a, Yes, but like, he doesn't know that. But he also, she, I also She has to she play the role. I think she doesn't owe him anything either. Like, I don't think she's doing the wrong thing by flirting with this other guy. Like, it... The way that they set up their relationship, it felt like uh, like she could have just went up to him and been like, "Yeah, once the you know once the judge goes home or whatever, like I'm not into this anymore." And it would have been like he even said at one point, I forget what the line was, but like, uh, "This isn't really worth it. What are we doing here?" Like he wasn't that dedicated to the relationship either. Yeah. It's not like she broke his heart by turning him down. <laughs> Actually, yeah. If anything, he he was gonna he was gonna rat her out until he had an opportunity to be yeah. in that magazine. Yeah, uh, I don't. Know, it's... There was nothing wrong. I I actually like really admired that about her character that she wasn't like okay. So that I I mentioned how for me it had a strong feminist storyline, and this feels like the right time to bring it up. How this this independent single woman is using the this misogynistic system that's set up and this whole idea of the perfect housewife and this you know the that that system to like make herself money while she cont- it's like because she is in an oppressive state she found a way to gain power and independence from that system yeah and that for me like changed the game on this movie everything that then her flirting with that guy it's like well that's what she wants yes get it girl like you don't owe him anything (laughs) you know what fair point (laughs) i like that read on this (laughs) actually that changes that changes some of my perspective right now you kind of got to go back and rewatch it all (laughs) See, I think there's more to Christmas in Connecticut than there is the menu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and let's not forget, I gotta go now and fucking watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger directed <laughs> See if they capture that same feminist tone that I saw yeah. in the original. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Uh, granted, I'm just reading this off of uh, Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. But apparently, film critic Emmanuel Levy noted that the film obviously propagated conservative ideology, sending women to the kitchen to dutifully play their roles as housewives and mothers after tasting some emancipation during the war years. <laughs> See, I, I feel like this movie is, like, against all that. I I think both perspectives, like, there is evidence to support both perspectives. Yes, I think, especially, again, that's why I kind of qualified my statement earlier that by today's lens, like, but I think all of that that I'm saying is actually in there. It's, it's playing with uh, power dynamic, relationship and gender-based power dynamics, but it's not exclusively, like, I don't think it's that conservative. They're, they're playing within that conservative mindset, but yeah. she's kind of like not she is not letting herself be a victim of it 
even at no. the end when when like it she's kind of tired of the whole charade and he fires her she's like well then fuck you like you're not gonna tell me who i can love and marry which yeah. in the 40s like as a single woman who probably needs that job to like when a lot of women in that area were like, I have to get married so that, you know, I have a house. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was getting fired and was like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to marry who I want, which I found really powerful. I, I also love, too, that, like, uh, little things this movie was doing. So, like, so you have Sloan, who's the, who's the rich who's the rich guy who like when he comes time to to tip the carriage driver gives him like a penny whereas like jones who is a you know he's a soldier probably doesn't have a lot of money tips him like in paper money uh i also love the running joke of how fucking dull stone sloan is where he's just <laughs> talking about piping and heating and oh and... i really love the most like i think it said a lot about their relationship mm-hmm. when um he was talking about the pipes in the house and she was like darling don't ever do that again. Like she, it was yeah. it was nice, but it was also like you're not my like I'm not really into this. This yeah. isn't don't turn this into a thing. <laughs> yeah. Actually no, I... the the paper money bit that you referenced, while it it's kind of a small thing and a you could argue like silly or a little transparent like when he dropped that the the paper money is the tip that was actually my thrill house moment but for an interesting reason well it's also kind of the save the cat moment too where it's like it's the moment that makes you it's a, it's not quite a save the cat cause save the cats are used when you um have potentially like character you don't know if you're supposed to like and you give a moment like that but it's essentially it's a character defining moment yes i guess it kind of is a save the cat moment because at the beginning they kind of present this character as being kind of a sleazeball yeah who agrees to marry someone just to get a pork chop right so who who's afraid of commitment and yeah that is that changes the trajectory of our perspective of his character um but for me that was the moment that i knew exactly what this movie was going to be Mm-hmm. Like I could see exactly how it was going to play out from that point, mm-hmm. and that's when I realized I'm like, oh my god, this is the the family stone got their plot from this, and Christmas yep. Vacation got their plot. Like, oh, I know this movie, and that mm-hmm. got me really excited. Uh, my thrill house moment came actually pretty early in this film. It it came from like our introduction of Barbara Stanwyck's character when it's like. Uh, you get the narration of her writing her story, but and you get to see her like shitty New York apartment and <laughs> see that it's all a fucking lie. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I had this. I had an earlier like I put THM question mark because I wasn't sure yet, and then the later moment sealed it for me. But was the introduction of Felix because I liked his character so much right from the get go. Oh, he's so good. Um that I'm like, "Oh my god, did he make me fall in love with this movie?" <laughs> Felix, he 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 fucking he's great. <laughs> Cut this. And I, I love that scene later near the end where he's like drunk in the chair and he's like, "I owe myself another $50,000." And he just <laughs> He's so you get good. It, Felix. Every line delivery, like any other actor, do like could not. 
I don't think it was that interesting of a character, but he fucking put <laughs> so much life into it that it killed. Um, oh, this and, movie... Uh, by the way, he really oh. is a Hungarian actor, by the way. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's, he was born in Budapest. Watching this movie, I finally get the, like, the... Not that I didn't understand it conceptually, but it really solidified for me the idea of, like, the one-horse open sleigh. Like, mm-hmm. how this is... Because it was presented so normally in this. It was presented kind of, like, everyday functionality. Yeah. It didn't, like... They didn't give it a bunch of whimsy or nostalgia. It wasn't this trumped-up thing that they, you know, were trying to inject Christmas in. It was, like, their taxi... And then the sleigh bells kind of acted as like, oh, somebody else is going to be entering the scene. I also love the very minor uh, uh, car chase with the buggy scene. (laughs) (laughs) Low-key police chase. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I also made a joke when we were watching it when... um, they're like, oh, we're going to arrest you. And she's like, oh, good, we're getting arrested. I'm like, <laughs> fucking rich white woman. But it also made me fall in love with her. Yeah. Like, be- but I was like, I was like what a Karen. Of course, you're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a white woman with money, with, with influence. Of course, yeah. getting arrested is not a bad deal for you. And even when they released her, they were like, oh, sorry, we didn't realize who you were. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, again, by today's standards, today's perspective, you're like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> like the system is so corrupt. <laughs> exactly. But back then it was just, you know, standard operating well, it's still standard operating practice, <laughs> yeah. but we're a little more aware of how bullshitty it is. Um I'm reading through my notes now. And I put one that says, quote, where'd you get it? And I don't know maybe the baby. <laughs> I think that was in reference to the baby. <laughs> That uh, I enjoyed. I, I have three notes, and they all come within like the first act. <laughs> uh, raw egg and milk. Oh, so gross! It it accomplished the the job that it had in the story. Yeah. Made you um, understand why he would marry somebody for a fucking pork chop. And then, like when he's talking to his friend, and he's like, "Ah, this is why this is why this is why a magoo is different than baloney." I'm like, "What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?" Like a magoo um yeah my, my new my notes is magoo baloney what the fuck <laughs> uh and then um nobody needs a mink coat but the mink that was a good line <laughs> oh felix <laughs> um also was it like not creepy back then to say that you wanted to watch somebody bathe a baby because that's like, today's what i was standards, saying that's pedophilia <laughs> like, and then he's like excited like getting his uh, he's like yeah we're gonna do this <laughs> I was like, calm down. You've been here for five minutes. You haven't even taken your, your, your fucking your hat off yet. That's not to say that, like, I got that it was innocent. Like, I didn't think he was actually being creepy. No. But the way he worded it, it's like, I would have passed that through another filter first before yeah. I said that. And then just how, how horned up the boss seemed to be getting about her flipping a fucking pancake. Like... Uh... Who was it that said, um, also, I, I like, might have been oh, the continue. judge that said, hang up my stocking, like, I'm gonna hang up my stocking, and it was clearly a double entendre, but I wasn't sure if it was a sex thing or a drinking thing. I also, thinking about it, 
That's a good point. I, I, I'm not too sure. Um, thinking about it, it's funny how many decisions in this movie were made from men thinking of their stomachs. Because the only reason Barbara Stanwyck got her job back is because his her boss really wanted liver or whatever the fuck he was cooking. Yeah. He's like, fine, I'll give her a job back. Just give me a plate. <laughs> and again, like, go back to, like, a feminist interpretation of this narrative. Then, like... Men cause problems because all they do is think about their stomachs or, you know, whatever, while women are trying to navigate within this system. And, you know, they're, yeah. that is a valid interpretation yeah. of this plot. Um, it, I also thought that it felt more, like, honest and candid than a lot of films of this era. Like, it felt less performative and more kind of like, it, it felt more real. I get that. Um, than a lot of films from this time. They weren't time. chewing the scenery as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I've got a whole lot more. I can just start going down the list. <laughs> um, sure. Oh, oh, God damn, was that sailor a crooner? Right when he was, <laughs> he, he got all like, whoa. <laughs> It kind of reminded me of that scene from Love Actually where, like, they're out caroling and then his fucking chauffeur driver starts singing yes. that Barrett. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Look, look who's been hiding. Um, who's got pipes? Nora is a prude. Yeah. The Irish maid. Oh, she my God. Like, yeah, well, I'm going to quit. quit I don't job. care that it's Christmas. I am quitting my job because she's whoring around. Whoring around? <laughs> Well, I never. <laughs> also, I gotta give the I gotta. Uh, he's an asshole, but I gotta give the boss uh, a little bit of credit. Instead of outing her to the fucking town, he's like, "Oh, everything's fine with the baby. Don't worry, everyone leave." And yep. then he fucking outed her. <laughs> he's not gonna like. He's not gonna air her dirty laundry to the world. Well, I don't know that. Like, I interpreted that as self-interest. Like, he's trying to protect his newspaper. <coughs> well, yeah, his circulation. <clears throat> yeah, that's fair. Um, I really enjoyed the nice firm rump bit with the cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way he delivered the line was so innocent that it. I know, and then she was like, <laughs> "Excuse me." <laughs> that was great. I also love when the cow just poked its head through the door because Amanda's like, "We need a cow." <laughs> right. It felt very like. 80s sitcom, you know, Beverly Hillbillies kind of Mr. Ed moment. Yeah, I'm all for it. I I, I think this movie could have used more cow. <laughs> um, I I have two more notes. One, uh, the dance caller, you know, the, the telling them what moves to do. Yeah. They're just the, like, DJs are just the modern version of that. 100%. <laughs> I never thought about it until that moment. Um, I wouldn't have either. And then my final note is that this movie is proof that the Manic Pixie Dream Girl persona can exist unproblematically if it's not like a prop for a brooding basic ass dude. Like, she has that personality, but it's her story. Yeah. He it's, just He's just secondary. He's, he, he is just the problem. Yes. Yep. That she has to deal with. Yeah, they have fallen in love or whatever, which <laughs> is whatever. But, like, 
he it's it's not his story he's invading her story (laughs) i also liked that she fell in love with him and she decided that she wanted him and then she did it like she flirted with him she got him it was she was in charge of that of her choices she had agency she was the one making those calls that wasn't being done to her. He wasn't so dreamy that she swooned and fell at his feet, you know, where when he got the girl. It was that she was like, you know what? I like yeah. this guy. If anything, the movie does a good job of, like, taking him off a, a pedestal. Yeah. That yep. these movies, because these movies usually put, like, the guys up on, like, some, like, big strapping man that every woman's falling over. He just seems like a realistic dude. Yeah. Like, there's nothing necessarily all that interesting about him. He's just a charming guy. They also made Barbara Stanwyck, like, sexy and flirty without objectifying her. No, hell. Like, she was always very smartly dressed. Even her nighttime robe had fucking shoulder pads. (laughs) So, I I really enjoyed that part. Um all in all, this one surprised me. And me too. This is one that I will probably be watching every Christmas from now However, on. I will say, I don't think it's a Christmas movie. This movie could have taken place on July 4th weekend and it would have been the exact same movie. I agree. Uh, and I, think... I also didn't feel like, for me personally, I didn't leave it with like a feeling of like christmas cheer it just it just feel like it just happened to take place on christmas if anything they could have set this movie on thanksgiving and it worked would have worked just as well and there needs to be more thanksgiving movies so yes, maybe I, that would have been a choice i agree with that um it it did fit my definite definition of a christmas movie which is a bit more uh simple and abstract in that yeah christmas coming around would make me want to watch this yeah whereas for me it's like i feel like i could see myself watching this in july yeah because i kind of forgot that it was a christmas movie (laughs) cool despite the title (laughs) yeah well there we go uh we both i think we both approve of uh christmas in connecticut yeah yeah and uh more mixed feelings about uh the man who invented christmas though uh we were both kind of on opposite sides of middle of the road yeah yeah cool that's fair well if you're looking for a new christmas film to add to your rotation then i think we would say christmas in connecticut especially if you like the oldies uh is is worth it 100 percent. all right nick um merry christmas michael yeah merry christmas Nick. and hey i'm probably gonna get to see you over christmas break i know (laughs) oh actually here's something um we talked about Christmas Vacation yeah, a little bit throughout this episode. I'm going to recommend everyone go watch Christmas Vacation tonight for the simple fact that not only is it a classic of comedy, Christmas comedy cinema, but Angelo Badalamenti, best known for doing the music uh, in Twin Peaks and a lot of other David Lynch films, he just passed away yesterday. So that's oh. Monday, December 12th. He also did the music in Christmas Vacation. There you go. Okay. Just think about that. The guy did the music in Twin Peaks, which is like beautiful, beautifully haunting Christmas Vacation. I think the music in Christmas Vacation is really interesting and it on is. point. It's just, I, I but just, you don't I, think about it necessarily yeah. from that lens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with yeah. you. 
Yeah, so that was that was the little piece of uh, of film related news that I had. Was oh like, yeah, I that's right. And I had one other one, but it, it it might become a whole fucking conversation. Oh, we wouldn't want that. Not on a podcast. <laughs> well, fine, I'll bring it up. <laughs> um, as of today, it was announced that. So I think a lot of people have heard that the TV show Westworld has been canceled. The HBO show. Okay. Um, I never watched it, but I know it was pretty popular. Um, apparently. And if you've been keeping up with the world of, of streaming and all the fucking weird decisions HBO is making lately, <laughs> uh, HBO is taking Westworld off of streaming. Which theoretically means if you don't own a copy of it, you can't fucking watch it. Right. Oh, okay. They're they're taking off the they're back catalog. They're removing it from. They made it. And they were removing it from their catalog. Interesting. Streaming. And it's not because like they lost the rights or whatever like sometimes happens. They made it. They have the rights for it. They are choosing to take it off. And the reason being people are thinking because um, then they don't have to pay royalties. Streaming royalties. Interesting. But and they're this... also not it, – it's also not drawing people to the platform. But maybe but that's not happening. So the – it becomes one of those things, though, of me going back to being a proponent for physical media, yeah. where because a lot of people are like, "Why would I buy something? I can watch whatever I want, whenever I want." Well, when you have pe- with the powers that be that can just decide that, "Hey, I don't want this out there anymore. It's gone." I also have not found it to be true that I can watch whatever I want, when whatever time I want, because. Like, A, in order to do that, you need to have all of the streaming services, which mm-hmm. now you're spending more than you were on cable and, you know, yep. your, your bundled cable package that everybody thought was too expensive. But also, like, how many times have we sat down to do uh, an episode of this and then, like, that movie is not on any streaming services, so you have to rent yeah, or, it. Or then sometimes the, if the rental cost is too high, I just, like, well, fuck well, it. Well, then I'll just buy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I find that I'm starting to slim down on my streaming services because it's just another place to channel surf. Like I'm, I no longer need that platform for X number of pieces of content that I need access to at the end of the day. Yeah. I'd rather like buy that one thing that I needed. It's just, we live in a world where you could have a critically acclaimed show that was very successful for for its time. Maybe not as successful as they wanted it to be, you know, whatever. Um, and now you just can't see it because they decide they don't want to put it up anymore. You know, I I don't even know if this would qualify as playing devil's advocate, but just an observation that I thought of as you were saying this is, you know, you and I grew up in the kind of birth of the physical media in terms of film like market where i i remember as a kid if you wanted to watch a show you had to sit down at 5 30 on thursday nights and to catch the new one or if it was in syndication then you would just like sit down at 5 30 and watch whatever one they chose to show you mm-hmm. you know and it's it's become and and that's not to say that it shouldn't be this way, but it's interesting how much our landscape has cha- the the media landscape has changed over our lifetime, and um, the the streaming revolution kind of shook everything up, and now is starting to like okay now that this is standard now what 
like I think we're on the verge of a big shift in how all these companies are starting to do things. They they designed their growth to lose money year after year after year, and now they're finally getting to the point where they're like, okay, now it's time for phase two. Yeah. And what's that going to look like? It's very much like, what do you mean I can't spend $5 million on an episode of television? <laughs> right. I don't know. It's interesting. And then the whole HBO thing has been interesting too because HBO now owns Warner Brothers and like they're fucking shelving movies that they've spent millions upon millions of dollars on just because they're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> like uh, the Batwoman movie is fucking done. Oh, wow. The, um, and it has the return of Michael Keaton in it as Batman. You can't oh. tell me that wasn't going to fucking bring in money. And with the Brendan Fraser re- re- uh, renaissance, he's the bad guy in it. Oh, like, okay. But no one's going to see it because they decided to shelve it because they said, oh, it's not ready. It's, you know, we don't have faith in it. It's like you've, you've already paid it like $50 million plus million. Just fucking put it out there. At this point, what does it matter? Interesting. And and actually, the, the it was really sad. The director posted a picture of the the score like the movie being scored and someone's like and he's like hey we already paid for this time we're not getting that money back let's fucking score this movie that no one's gonna see at that point what does it matter just do it huh interesting yeah so it's the state of the world is uh in terms of the state of the world sounds so Dramatic. I mean, uh, the state of the world is in shambles, yeah. but, but the we're state of the state to... of the movie world is also in a weird flux. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. That being said, go watch Christmas in Connecticut right now on HBO Max. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, shame listeners. Yeah. Thanks for sticking with us, and hopefully, you come back for season seven. Yeah. And, um... Everybody, rest up enjoy time with your friends and family whether it's your your birthed family or your chosen family um and uh we'll see you next year everybody yeah all Uh, right guys tune in shame time shame channel shameless picture show (laughs) well get there that'll be that'll be my new year's eve goal uh is is to write that so it works is to actually yeah figure that fucking closing off i feel like it sounds like sean connery shame time shame place shameless picture show shame station the shameless picture show is recorded in milwaukee wisconsin and eastern maryland and is hosted and produced by nick richards and michael byers today's episode was edited by nick richards our opening theme music was written especially for us by the directionals with narration by zach mclean The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.